the feeling of pushing past that fear is just so exhilarating. It gets your heart pumping and it's like, oh man, I was able to live through that. I'm author and presenter Marley Silver. And in this mini-series, Game Changers, we'll hear stories from elite Australian athletes, women at the top of their game. When I got into the medical tent, I was looking at my arms, I was on the stretcher, and I was like, is this real? It was a moment many of us might remember from the Tokyo Olympics. And then I looked at my jersey and I was, it was my Olympic kit, and I was like, no, please don't tell me I crashed. No, not the Olympics. All eyes were on the 22-year-old BMX champion from Australia, Seiya Sakakibara, as she competed in her first ever Olympic Games. I was so confident in my lead-up into the Olympics. Everything was going well, like my training, I really stepped up. And even in practice and even in the races beforehand, like I was feeling amazing and actually thought that I could win and I actually thought that I could medal. And that's not a feeling that you can kind of make yourself believe. Like it's everything that you experience, like how you feel and your results beforehand, everything kind of made me feel like I could definitely do well here. In the semi-final, Saya placed fourth in the first round and then first in the second. In other words, she was placed pretty comfortably to make it to the Olympic final. But before Saya got there, something devastating happened. She collided mid-air with Elise Willoughby, a rival competitor from the US. She came across quite aggressively and hit me in the air. And in the air, I was like, oh, I've lost control now because once you get hit in the air, there's very little chance that you can land and be okay and there was no track left for me so I clipped her back wheel and crashed and she crashed as well so we both crashed at the same time and I hit my head there which I didn't know until I was in the medical tent. It took Saya a while to get her bearings but finally the realisation hit. She'd suffered a serious concussion and lost her shot at an Olympic gold. I just didn't want it to be real. And for the first, like, minute or couple minutes or so, I was like, okay, I crashed, it's fine. But then when I saw the girls' final and, like, the winners of the medals, that's when it really hit me and was like, gosh, that's that sucks. Everything's finished. I didn't get a medal. I didn't even get a chance to try for a medal and it's all over and it was just definitely really really upsetting for me that yeah I didn't really get the chance to give it my everything or show what I can do. It wasn't exactly the debut the six-time national champion was hoping for but for someone who has BMX flowing through their blood the ride wasn't over yet. Saya's love of BMX began before she could even walk, as she watched her older brother Kai, also a BMX racer, ride around their backyard on the Gold Coast. When he first picked up his bike, which was when he was two years old uh, with no pedals, he just loved it. He loved riding his bike around the backyard and skidding down the hill and um, he loved competition as well. And when he came across the BMX track, BMX literally just ticked all his boxes. It's fast, it's jumps, it's bikes, it's it's competition, it's a race. And he just absolutely fell in love. 
When Saya was two years old, her family relocated to Japan where her mum grew up. Saya remembers being about four years old in Hachiyoji, learning to ride on a makeshift racetrack. I wasn't really doing anything every weekend when I was watching Kai race and uh, yeah, they bought me a bike and kind of pushed me into it. I had literally no choice and <laughs> I, I got to say like I didn't like it at the start. You know, on my first race, I crashed three times on the same jump, cried then went home and didn't touch my bike for like three months. And then I'm not sure what brought me back, but I'm sure it was just because Kai just loved racing and I could just see his passion and, and I was just that younger sibling that wants to copy the older brother and finally I got back on and here we are. It's been it's been a long ride. I guess I, I loved it then and um I continue to to love it. Yeah, that's amazing. And to think you were that young, like I'm pretty sure for myself just riding a bike around my neighborhood, I still had training wheels for probably far too long. Was it like, <laughs> did you even need training wheels? My dad actually like didn't believe in training wheels. <laughs> and what I mean by that is not the fact that he just put me on the bike and just, here you go. It was more like he believed that kids should learn how to balance on the bike before they learn how to pedal. So mm. with training wheels, you learn how to pedal then you learn how to balance, if that makes sense. But, yeah, for for me and for Kai, I think he took the pedals and cranks off of my bike. So then I would be, like, on the seat and learning how to balance but going forward without pedaling. So I'll be pedaling with my foot on the ground, like kind of walking. And then at some point, as soon as the cranks and pedals went back on, I was able to really get going because the balancing is harder than the pedaling. And yeah, I think that made a huge difference on how quickly I was able to transition from pedaling on the bike on like flat ground to the BMX track. So you mentioned talking about the origins of your love for BMX or growing love of BMX um, was really inspired by your brother Kai. And he's also a BMX rider. How close are the two of you? We're really, really close. Once we started both doing BMX, we were just kids in Japan. But when we, in 2007, when I was turning eight years old, we moved back to Australia, into Sydney. And um, there, there was just so much more people racing BMX. There was so much more tracks. You can go there every weekend if you want and go to a different track every weekend. It's just, it was like BMX heaven for both Kai and I. And as we grew in the sport, like our relationship grew closer and closer as well because when Kai started training and doing some bodyweight exercises or sprints or doing some kind of structured training, which was quite early for him, it was around when he was like 12. He was so dedicated from such a young age and I kind of followed into his footsteps and he pushed me to take BMX a little bit more seriously and I honestly didn't want to train but I just didn't want to be left behind. I think that was more my drive to train because I didn't necessarily feel like I needed to go wake up at six o'clock in the morning to do some like body weight training. I'm like, I don't need to do that. But seeing Kai being so dedicated, I'm, I'm just like, okay, I'll just follow along. And yeah, like as we grew up, my love for BMX grew and 
I kind of found my inner drive to to train and found like a purpose of training and I found that when I was probably like 17 years old or 18 so quite late but that was like a good time because like that was the time where I stepped up into the junior and elite ranks and that's when things get serious with like Olympic points and you know world championships and titles up for grabs and that's when we started circling the world circuit together as well Kai and I doing the world cups doing European stints and yeah spending months overseas and stuff so you know we did spend a lot of time together and we kind of balanced each other out in a way because when Kai he was just like so like such a perfectionist with everything and needs everything to be like done on time and I was a bit more laid back and having that kind of relaxed personality and it really worked. Sayers bond with her brother runs deep and in 2020 the unthinkable happened. At the World Cup in Bathurst, Kai suffered a heavy crash and was left fighting for his life. The accident happened at a critical moment in Kai's career. The Olympics were coming up, and up until then, his performance wasn't where he wanted it to be. So at the Bathurst World Cup, in order to make the Olympic team, Kai had to score a podium finish. There was just the crappiest weather. It was raining, it was crazy windy, and there was heaps of delays. No one knew if racing was going to go ahead. The race did go ahead but the organisers decided to change the track the athletes would compete on. This meant Kai was racing in a situation he hadn't anticipated and he needed to win this race. He knew that he had to give it everything in this first race and I think that was why he was pushing really hard to try and make that move into that second corner and um, ultimately kind of rushed it a little bit and, yes, his front wheel kind of slid out and face-planted into the corner. Sayer watched it all unfold from the sideline. It's crazy because I usually don't watch Kai's races. I'm not sure why. I just, yeah, I don't like to watch people I care about um, racing when I'm racing. And that day I was actually watching that race for some reason. And I saw that crash and I knew straight away it was going to be bad. I could just see it. I didn't even go down to the first aid tent because I knew that I had to race as well. And I tried to focus so much of like trying to keep my composure and try not to think too much because I still needed to race. But Sayer didn't get to race because after Kai's accident, all events that day were cancelled and Kai was airlifted to Canberra Hospital. I kind of blocked out or like the reality of it. And I was I was told that he was in a coma, but I was like, oh, yeah, he'll be fine. Like I didn't really think about, you know, his life being threatened or whether he was breathing or not. Like I didn't even think about it. The next day when I got a phone call early in the morning by my dad and he was like, I think you should come down. He's going into surgery now and we just don't know what's going to happen. And that was when it really hit me. And... Yeah, I was crying the whole three hours from Bathurst to Canberra. And yeah, the next week or so was definitely really hard. Just seeing him in the hospital bed and his face was so swollen 
and um, yeah, it was definitely really hard to see that. And you know, the doctors don't really know any. Like they are so amazing. They're smart. They know. They knew what to do to save his life and do that surgery. But just even looking at the scans and things like that, they weren't able to say whether he was going to live or even if he does wake up, like what his life would look like. And all they could tell us was that it was a very, very severe uh, brain injury. And, you know, if you type in severe brain injury into Google, you, you, I definitely did not like what I saw there. <laughs> so um, I, tr- I, I learned not to do that. But yeah, it was definitely a touch and go situation for about um, a definitely a week or week or two weeks. And as he kind of started to get better, we were able to take him off the sedation. And you know, it was a very long process until he was able to breathe by himself again, open his eyes, and then move his hand. And then it was, I think, about exactly two months when he was able to move into the brain injury unit where he stayed for about a year, just doing full rehab from, I think, his first week was, first week in physio was sitting up by himself for two minutes. The next day was sitting up by himself for three minutes. So just seeing the rock bottom, that was like, That was like max effort for him. At the time, Kai was barely recognisable to his little sister. He was 20 kilos lighter and unable to walk or talk. Sometimes I look at photos back of like his first couple of days in the rehab centre and he looks awful. Like he has absolutely no muscle and he looks so sick. And I think back to like, how did I not freak out when I saw him like this yeah or like how did I keep my composure but I think it's just you know your body's response to or like coping mechanism just to just keep going and just see the positive of like wow he was able to sit for five minutes today that's crazy and like oh he said yes and no today that's awesome that's more than yesterday and it was just like a day by day thing and Every day, either my mum, my dad or myself would spend the day with him at the hospital and we'll do like a little recap around dinner time, what he did, like what kind of new things that he did or what was good or was bad. And all those conversations started to be so positive because it was like, wow, that's so much better than how he was yesterday with me. And every day was different. With his family there, bit by bit, Kai got better and life started to look a little more normal. He's talking, he's walking, he's doing squats with 100 kilos, his muscles are coming back and he's back on the bike too and he did a full lap around the BMX track uh, a couple months ago which is insane and yeah it's just been amazing just to see how far he's come and it doesn't seem like he's stopping there. It's an incredible story. And one that speaks to not only Kai's strength, but Saya and her family's strength too. To outsiders, the fact that Saya is even able to get back on a bike following her brother's accident may seem unbelievable, but not to her. I didn't think for a second that I had to stop because at the time Olympics were still going ahead and literally two days after I was in Canberra 
And I was asking where the gym was because I'm like, I need to keep training because if, if Kai's not going to the Olympics, I need to go. So I was straight into training and I think there was definitely, uh, you know, like we always say that there's definitely risks involved in sport and a sport like BMX is, you know, a lot of risk. It's not just yourself. You've got seven other riders beside you. There's bound to have, you know, crashes and injuries. And But I think with Kai's crash it kind of puts everything into perspective and makes you take a step back to be like okay this is the worst that could probably happen and yeah it just opened my eyes to the dangers of BMX and it definitely was scary I didn't know when my next crash was going to be and whether that that crash was going to be you know, a minor crash or if I was actually going to really hurt myself. But I think it was about six months later I had my crash and I was like, okay, it's all good. I had my crash and now now I can move on type thing. But I think there's a big difference between where he crashed and if if he was to crash on the first jump, I think that would have been a different story because I've had fears of crashing on the first jump. Like I've had that a couple of years ago and it, it took me a while to get over that fear and be able to line up against seven other riders again and if I was to if he if Kai was to crash on the first jump and that happened to him I'm not sure if I was going to be able to line up on the gate again because that's probably the scariest part but the fact that he crashed you know midway around the track and it was kind of his error like it wasn't the fact that someone crashed into him or it was yeah it was all his fault and his error I kind of feel like if I'm in control then I'll be okay and I think that got me through. After Kai's Olympic dreams were taken away attention honed in on Saya. She says she felt the pressure to compete not just for herself but for her brother too. That was a whole story to lead up to the Olympics, which was, which is fine because it was true. But also with that came a little bit of pressure because I wanted that fairy tale story to be complete with a medal to be like, hey, this is what happened, the challenges that we went through, and now it's a perfect fairy tale ending. And that was hard because. Yeah, a lot of people were following that that journey with me. All of my support crew, they were going to support me either way, but there were other people who don't know me and people who just see me on in the media who were following that journey and, you know, obviously wanted me to do well. Yeah, it was just a bit hard when I wasn't able to do that and I felt like I let everyone down because... They wanted that story and I shouldn't have to be thinking about that. I shouldn't have to be this character in a story where someone's kind of made up. But it was also a story that I've made up for myself that I didn't, I wasn't able to live up to. And it was hard to kind of swallow. Not everything goes the way we planned. (laughs) It's so cliche, but it's so true and... Um, I just had to know and remind myself that results 
aren't everything and no result will kind of define who I am as a person. So, Saya, with everything that's happened, I think fear is something that a lot of people would think is pretty present in your mind. What is your relationship with fear in regards to the sport at the moment? I sometimes think about how it's too early for me to experience fear. Like a lot of people experience fear like towards the end of their BMX careers where they're they're sick of crashing, they're sick of injuries and things like that. But I started to feel it in 2019 where there was probably a period of two months where I crashed on the first jump like three, four times. And then the last one was, yeah, I had a concussion. And there was such a huge journey to get back to being able to be confident lining up against seven other girls and going 55 kilometers per hour down the hill to jump like a 10 meter jump and what I've learned from those experiences is that the fear never actually goes away you just learn how to manage it and I feel like there's a lot of people who or there may be extreme or athletes in extreme sports who don't feel fear I don't know how they don't but I definitely feel a lot of fear every time I get onto the BMX track the biggest thing that I do leading into each race is just trusting the things that I've done and focusing on the things that you can control and I had to learn how to be like no no that's fine it is windy yes the girl next to me is a two-time world champion or Olympic champion, and she is fast. But I can't control what they're doing. What I can control is doing the best start, and what I can control is pedaling hard and things like that and just making it simple. So the the self-talk I have before I race is just clear and concise. Say so you're 22 and you've had a couple of big hurdles or setbacks, whatever you want to call them, that you've had to face. And you can tell that there's so much resilience that's already been built within you, but you've still got a whole life ahead of you, a whole career even. So what are your hopes looking into the future for that career? A lot. (laughs) I don't know what's ahead of me. There's a long road ahead. Hopefully there's some successes. I'm sure there's going to be more failures but um, I just know that this whole experience as an athlete, there's not many people who get to do this life and I'm just appreciative of what I can do day to day and the people I get to work with, the people I get to meet, you know, the places I get to go. It's just such an amazing life that I get to live so just be grateful for everything that I get to do and just soak up the experience as much as I can. And, yeah, I think that's just what I can do for the next however many years I get to do BMX for. Sayo has her sights set on the World Championships in 2022. But for now, she's focused on getting her health back on track. And when she steps up, Australia will be cheering her on from the sidelines. In the next episode of this mini-series, Game Changers, we're speaking with Kelly Cartwright. 
Of course, at the age of 15, I didn't know a lot about it, but I did know you die. I'm Marley Silva, your host, and this is Beyond the Ordinary, a Red Bull podcast. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can discover more about Game Changers at redbull.com forward slash Game Changers. Game Changers.